to yourself out loud. It's generally considered to be an odd behavior, but it's really quite normal. Each of us have an ongoing internal monologue in our heads. It's simply how we process thought. For instance, when you see a car that's swerving all over the road, you might think to yourself, he's drunk, I need to get out of his way. But some of us will actually articulate that. We're going to say it out loud. And yes, I'm one of those people. We talk to ourselves all the time, and research suggests that it's perfectly normal for us to do so. In today's podcast, you'll discover that talking to yourself is not only ordinary behavior, it can be beneficial. Some psychologists, in fact, who study the phenomena of self-talk, such as Dr. Paloma Marie Beffa, go so far as to call it a sign of high cognitive functioning. High cognitive functioning. Isn't that just another way of saying smart? Not really. I'd like to think so, but high cognitive functioning refers, among other things, to our ability to evaluate situations, to organize information, and to reach goals. High cognitive functioning includes our ability to adapt to new and challenging circumstances, and talking to ourselves out loud can increase those skills. Today, I'm going to have a conversation with myself on the topic of self-talk, and who knows, maybe I can coax you into saying a few things out loud during today's podcast. Welcome to Conversations with Myself. I'm your host, Barry Phillips. And today, as in every episode, I'll be interviewing myself rather than talking with someone more knowledgeable or better informed. It's simply more fun this way. Today's podcast is sponsored by Hill City Recording, which is more than just another recording studio. They want to teach you how to professionally capture and edit your own bass and guitar tracks. They provide consultation services, training, and engineering assistance to musicians who are working on their own projects. Hill City Recording can help you with songwriting, guitar or bass lessons, music industry coaching, podcast production, and of course, they turn out some masterful bass and guitar tracks. Take your recording project to the next level. Go to hillcityrecording.com and fill out the recording request. You'll thank yourself later. So let's start with the most obvious question regarding conversations with myself. Why interview yourself in each podcast rather than subject matter experts who are far better qualified to address the issues? Subject matter experts, just like the rest of us, might exaggerate a point or two just to impress an audience. Then our faithful listeners might unwittingly spread false information by repeating what they've heard on this podcast. That's on me. I can't let that happen. <laughs> Hold on. Are you kidding me? You're implying that exaggeration is a real problem during podcast interviews? Do you really believe that? No, 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 I don't. But let's at least admit that many of these experts are a peculiar breed of people. They think a bit differently than you or I do. Their politics are weird. And let's be honest here, most seem to lack a functioning moral compass. I worry that a guest on this podcast might use the platform they've been provided to further some wacko personal agenda. I just don't want to open the door to their nonsense on this podcast. Experts say what they're paid to say. Here's proof of what I'm saying. This very minute, in dozens of courtrooms around the country, there are subject matter experts testifying under oath on behalf of the prosecutor. These experts will prove beyond any shadow of a doubt that the crime could only have been committed by the defendant. And tomorrow, in that very same courtroom, another subject matter expert will be called onto the stand by the defense attorney to refute the testimony of the first expert. 
and this expert will prove without equivocation that it was impossible for the defendant to have committed the crime. Do you understand where I'm going with this? I do. Your example of courtroom experts provides a clear illustration and it makes sense to me. Subject matter experts will present truth as they understand it, which might actually be a distortion of truth. And if paid to protect a specific viewpoint, most of them will unzip their integrity and serve for an hour or so as a short-term intellectual prostitute. Exactly. Let's talk about truth for a minute or two. Contemporary culture tends to believe the truth is relative and based on personal situations, societal norms, or, or cultural beliefs. Most Americans, in fact, don't even believe that absolute truth can exist. But there are absolute truths, which hold true in all times and all places. Such truth doesn't change based on attitudes, personal circumstances, and they simply are not situational. Can you give me an example? Sure. If you step off the edge of a three-story building, you're going to fall down, not up. This fact doesn't change if you live north or south of the equator, and it's not determined by culture or public opinion. Gravity is a law of nature will pull you towards Earth when you fall. Or if you cut an artery, you're going to bleed. Assuming, of course, that your heart's still pumping. That's a medical fact, and it's not going to change over time or in a different culture. Here's another. Every triangle has three sides. A triangle, by its very definition, has three sides. If it has more sides or less sides, it simply isn't a triangle. Now, you may find people who want to debate those facts, which are exactly the people I don't wish to include as guests on this podcast. So, your goal in interviewing yourself, rather than someone vastly more qualified to discuss a topic, is to preserve and to present truth? Not really. I understand that most of us invent our own truth. So truth is what we believe it to be. And since we're designing our own truth, I guess I'm really just hoping to offer my own thought-provoking perspective. You mean opinion, don't you? Yeah, I suppose you could call it that, but I hope that our podcast listeners embrace it as an informed opinion. Informed opinion. <laughs> is there any other kind? Most of us consider our opinions to be an informed one, don't you think? Yes. And it's actually interesting to me to see where people actually come by their information. According to research, most people form their opinions based on what they hear from family or friends, rather than from a legitimate news source or some factual analysis. It seems that we don't want facts as much as we want a reliable source. Or actually, let me rephrase that, a trusted source, such as a friend. We trust information from people we trust. And we love stories. We remember stories more readily than facts. So false facts are easily embraced if you just wrap them up in a story. How do you define a legitimate news source? That's difficult to answer because you'll find some sort of bias, even unintentionally, from virtually any news source. The most reliable information sources are those that have our best interest in mind, which leads back to family, friends, trusted colleagues, neighbors. If you pay attention to commercials, you'll frequently hear advertisers use technobabble to convince you to buy a product. The commercial will be filled with technical jargon that isn't intended to be understood. These technical buzzwords and slang are used to convince us that they know what they're talking about. They want us to trust them because they're the experts. Obviously, they know more than we do. 
And even though technobabble often convinces people to buy a product, we're biologically wired to trust people who have our best interest in mind over people who sound like they're peddling snake oil. Product testimony from a friend or family member carries far more weight than a boatload of technical experts. So friends and family are generally considered to be legitimate sources of news? Generally, yes. With notable exceptions, of course, most families have that one cousin on drugs that everybody knows can't be trusted. But information that comes from family members is generally regarded as reliable. So you're telling me that I'm more likely to believe you than I would a subject matter expert or researcher on any given subject simply because you're family. I'm more than family. I'm you. Well, I guess you can't get more credible than that. I love this quote from Ashley Brilliant. My opinions may have changed, but not the fact that I'm right. We're less interested in truth than we are in proving ourselves right. So even if you are, well, me, shouldn't the objective of discussions with myself be to unearth truth? I mean, real truth? I could offer up a quote that's a bit more crude regarding opinions that I'm sure you've heard before, but I won't. My mind drifted a bit when you used the term unearthed truth. I pictured an archaeologist digging in a pit and finding an ancient artifact that's been hidden underground for centuries under the soil. He wouldn't know immediately what he'd found, or, or she. True, thanks for the reminder. I sometimes forget to include both pronouns because I was taught during an era when the masculine pronoun was considered sufficient. Actually, there's an entire list now of gender-neutral pronouns that you really should consider using. Really? No thanks. Where were we? Oh, until an artifact is cleaned up and analyzed, it remains a bit of a mystery. But after analysis, its identity becomes clear. Is that why you use the term unearth truth? When we unearth something, we find what has been hidden or lost. And the term directly applies to truth. We don't manufacture truth. We discover it. And sometimes we learn what we've discovered is not what we thought it was. Unless we've completely closed our minds, our beliefs will change over time as compelling new evidence is introduced. Sometimes our certainty of the world around us prevents us from examining new evidence. We reject it before we've even heard it. So what is real truth? We used to believe that the earth was flat. Sailors were afraid to sail on the open seas because they were afraid they might fall off the edge of the earth. It seems so ridiculous now, but at the time it was common knowledge. Everybody believed that. Truth gets revised all the time. We adopt new truths as evidence refutes what we believed in in the past. There are still people that hold on to that belief that the earth in fact is flat. I'm sure you've heard of flat earth societies that even today deny that the earth is spherical. It's hard for me to imagine in this age of technology that people can hold on to such a belief. You know, I, I don't really think that they believe that. They're just contrarians. They remind me of that character named Younger Bear in the film Little Big Man, who did everything contrary to his culture. He answered yes when he meant no, and no when he meant yes. He even rode his horse backwards. I think I must have missed that movie. What I'm getting at is that once people embrace pseudoscience, it's difficult for them to let it go. They don't want facts to get in the way of what they already know. Our culture is contrarian in many respects. There's not much chance that listening to a podcast will change your worldview. 
which is another reason why conversations with myself is such a brilliant concept. Why should I milk fabricated truths from some delusional guest who's been injected with false memories and presents lazy facts? I'm the one who selects each topic for these weekly podcasts, so I feel that it's my duty to distill the essence of each subject. My goal is to extract the truth, wrap it into bite-sized morsels, and offer our listeners a zesty new flavor to taste. I like that term, lazy facts. What does that imply? Society tends to embrace simple solutions that are discovered through casual observation. We don't want complex answers to our questions. We readily accept cause and effect solutions, whether they're right or wrong, because they seem the most obvious. We approach problem solving as if a problem can only have one solution. Lazy facts are manufactured out of thin air because they seem, on the surface, to be true. They're easy because they're not based on research. Kind of like what you're asserting regarding truth. <laughs> busted. But I can provide a couple sources if you like. Well, I'm quite sure you could. But isn't that also part of the problem? You can search Google on any topic and find both supporting and opposing viewpoints. How can you avoid lazy facts on conversations with myself? I believe that common sense is the answer. People simply lack judgment. And rather than cloud their minds with even more facts, we need to infuse the dialogue on this podcast with practicality. By this, I mean conversations with myself should favor knowledge that comes from actually doing things rather than having the weekly discussion shaped by the theoretical. Hypothetical questions are okay, but hypothetical answers are not. I got a little sidetracked with all the talk about truth and opinion, so I'd like to return to this week's topic of self-talk. Since I'm already talking to myself, is there anything that I should or shouldn't be saying to myself? I mean, what is healthy self-talk? That's actually a great question. You should avoid saying things to yourself like, I'm such an idiot, or I can't do anything right. In moments of struggle, you need to be aware of whether your self-talk is negative or whether it's supporting. Negative self-talk can lead to depression or anxiety, while supporting self-talk can help you through anxious moments and provide encouragement. I've said things to myself like that, phrases like, oh, you're so stupid. Or I can't believe I just did that. Those things just spill from my lips. And I think we all mutter to ourselves when we do stupid things. Is that really harmful? And if it is, please tell us what we can do about it. There are techniques that can be used to alter your negative response. It takes a little bit of practice, but you can rehearse a phrase like, I can do better than that, or I can figure this out. You may have heard this phrase before. Repeat a lie often enough and it becomes the truth. It's attributed to Joseph Goebbels, the minister of propaganda for Nazi Germany. This tactic of repeatedly telling a lie has become a useful concept in both commercial advertising and government propaganda. But doesn't the same concept also apply to self-talk? Brilliant question. When people gossip about you, your self-esteem can be negatively affected. You know what people are saying about you isn't true. And even though you know it's a lie, you're still victim to the very perception of what is being said about you. You're forced to wear the shame even though you don't deserve it. In the same way, self-talk can create the notion that you are less than what you really are. Negative self-talk becomes the oft-repeated lie. Imagine rewiring your brain to think differently. 
you can actually do this through positive self-talk. Neuroplasticity is the ability of neural networks in the brain to change and be reorganized. You can reprogram your brain and alter the way that you respond situationally through positive self-talk. It's hard to imagine, but an awkward, out loud pep talk might actually influence your future behavior. So let me be sure that I fully understand this. You're saying that positive self-talk can affect our sense of well-being and that even our future success can be altered through self-talk. Wow, that makes me feel so much better about talking to myself. Me too. There's quite a body of research that tells us that we're better off talking out loud through complex tasks as well. Vocalizing the steps helps us break the complex task into bite-sized chunks that are more easily understood. Teachers use jingles and songs to help children memorize lengthy lists of things. It starts with the alphabet. I still remember the entire list of prepositions from a jingle that my elementary school teacher made me memorize in class. Repeating them over and over out loud embedded them deeply in my brain and I doubt that I'll ever struggle to find a preposition. And I hope that I never forget the alphabet. I can relate to that. When I was a kid, my parents made us attend Sunday school each week before worship services at our church. And every week we sang a song that taught us the names and sequence of every book of the Bible. I still remember it. It's pretty clear to me that verbalization aids retention. Have you witnessed anyone who talks out loud when they play a video game? And I'm not talking about online multiplayer games where you're expected to communicate with your teammates. And I'm not talking about trash talking an opponent. We all do that. I'm talking about people who talk out loud to themselves or even to the game when they're in the heat of action. Is this a trick question? Everyone talks to themselves while playing video games. Pay attention the next time people around you play a video game and you're going to hear them shout out instructions to themselves or they're going to verbally make excuses for some wrong move. The more stressful the situation, the more likely people are to think out loud. And that's also, of course, when we hear words that are inappropriate for children under the age of 13. And over the years, I've discovered that talking out loud helps me establish focus when I'm writing. Most of what I write tends to sound a bit stilted or unnatural when I read it out loud. But when I speak to capture my thoughts, the words flow more fluidly or naturally. I use a program called Speech Notes that allows me to convert spoken words into text, and I'm pretty sure you use that too. Absolutely. My wrist used to throb because I spent too much time typing. Speech Notes was medicine to me. Do you remember when those programs first came out? The resulting text took longer to edit than to write it down from scratch. I do indeed. Uh, but fortunately, those days are gone. Unless, of course, you're still using Windows 95. The newer voice recognition tools are really amazing. I do very little editing after dictating several pages of text now. I'm convinced that talking to myself aided my transition to the use of voice-to-text tools. Conversations with myself have so many benefits. I find myself reading instructions out loud or reciting ingredients out loud as I'm cooking. And as a result, I rarely find extra parts while assembling something or fail to include the proper ingredients when I'm cooking? Is there anything that can be gained by our listeners due to the fact that I think out loud? I'm not sure I understand that question. I was asking if there's any benefit to our listeners because I think out loud. I'm so stupid. <laughs> Sorry, that neuroplasticity is still a new concept to me. By talking out loud, I've been able to gain some remarkable insights 
on about 50 different topics right now that we're going to be going over in the course of our podcasts. So our listeners in only 20 to 30 minutes can gain some really incredible insights that required many, many hours of self-talk to develop. I'm so sure that our listeners are going to benefit from this podcast that I'm willing to offer a benefit guarantee. So what's provided in that guarantee? I'm willing to offer a 100% money-back guarantee to any listener who fails to be either mildly amused or totally befuddled. How's that? Sounds like a reasonable offer to me. So if you paid to listen to this podcast, please let us know who and how you paid, or better yet, why you paid. And trust me, we'll make every effort to find that money. Barry, I'd like to thank you for being such an insightful guest on today's podcast. It was wonderful to have you in the studio, and I look forward to having you back again soon. How about next week? Perfect. Put it on your calendar. Join me with me next week on Conversations with Myself. And please like, share, then text your friends about this podcast. Then talk to yourself about it out loud as you enjoy your week. Next week's podcast will examine why some pathetic souls seem to actually enjoy algebra, while others, like me, are not only confounded by it, we despise it, we actually hate it. Our conversation next week will center around Algebra Sucks, a song that I co-wrote and produced. You can locate it on Spotify and listen to it before next week's podcast. I apparently struck a nerve with this song because the response to it has been ridiculous. You've been listening to Conversations with Myself. Please join me with me next week for some more fun. And don't bring along your slide rule. Uh.